You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me before many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Take your share of suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier on service gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to satisfy the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will grant you understanding in everything. Amen and amen. We are truly a blessed people. We have so many privileges because we have been called and have accepted the fellowship of the Christian Church. Just think of some of the privileges you and I have today. We can sit here knowing that every confessed sin has been forgiven by God through Jesus Christ. Every one of us who calls Christ our Lord and Savior, we have the privilege of knowing that when death comes to us, Jesus has reserved a room for us in the house of many mansions. It's a great privilege. Not everybody has it. We have a privilege of knowing that no matter what happens, no matter what, if we believe in Jesus, God is working for the good in everything. We of the Christian faith have the privilege of believing that God, by the power of His Holy Spirit, is leading us, leading us into bigger and greater and more wonderful tomorrows. We have the privilege of knowing that though father and mother may forsake us, our Father in heaven will never, never leave us down. That's a great privilege. And so, many of us concentrate on the privileges, though, that we forget we have responsibilities. Sometimes we are so concerned about what God in Jesus can give to us that we forget we have a responsibility to give to God and Jesus. To paraphrase a former president, sometimes we ask too many questions about what God can do for us and forget what we can do for God. And this has been a concern of the church since the very beginning. Nearly 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul was concerned about transmitting and propagating the gospel. And he challenged the leaders of his day, as I challenge the leaders of this day, to remember that we have not only great privileges, but we have a responsibility. Paul told Timothy... That responsibility is best handled when you entrust, when you entrust to people who are able to teach the things that you have seen and heard and know. 
And you don't entrust these just to teaching people, any people, but basically to faithful people. And that's the key word, ladies and gentlemen. That's where you want to put the accent on that particular verse of the second chapter of Timothy. On faithful people. That's the group that has the responsibility. And you see, our hang-up is that we can't all agree as to what faithfulness really means. It carries so many different connotations in your vocabulary and mine. Paul knew that too. That's why he, he added the metaphors of trying to explain faithfulness in terms of the soldier, the athlete, and the hard-working farmer. And he says if you follow the attributes which the soldier is supposed to have, the athlete must have, and the farmer will have if he's ever going to produce a harvest, you people have an understanding of what faithfulness means. Therefore, to try to get you to wonder what this crazy sermon title is about, I've paraphrased it a little bit and changed it and said, Faithfulness Defined by Joe, Jock, and Jake. Let me explain. Joe stands for the soldier. And I know as I stand before you, I am speaking to many people who served in the armed forces of our country who are serving right now. I would just like to see, if you're not too bashful, how many of you have ever served in the armed forces of our land? Will you please put up your hand? My goodness gracious, more than half the people. Let me see again. How many of you served during the time of the, the struggle in Southeast Asia? How many of you served during the Korean conflict? Here's the big one. WW2. Mm-hmm. WW1. Spanish-American War. <laughs> I see one. <laughs> I just want to get this idea because I've never served in the Army, Navy, or any other branch of the, of the armed forces. Therefore, I feel like a neophyte speaking to a lot of experts or, or like one trying to shoot spitballs at the Rock of Gibraltar. But I think you people can identify with what I'm trying to say. I have used the terminology... G.I. Joe. And if you're over 40 years of age, and even those of you who are younger, because it's a term that caught on, that came into existence on June 17, 1942, when a very creative artist by the name of Peter Breger, with his pen, created an individual who he called G.I. Joe, representing every service person in our armed service. Understand they just had some dolls made called G.I. Joe. Every cartoonist I think in the country picked it up, including our beloved Cy Hungerford. And oh, how we're going to miss him. That newspaper's not the same in the last two weeks without his pen. But the concept is that whenever you speak about G.I. Joe, you have in mind a soldier person. An individual who served or has served in our armed forces. Now you people, you know far better than I what kind of a person 
Joe is. He's an individual, first of all, who is in the service of our country and underline the word service. Whether you were enlisted, whether you were drafted, it really made no difference. No one of you knew or expected that you were going on a vacation. None of you expected to go for a rest or for health reasons. None of you knew that you were going, or none of you expected to be going to a debating society. You were going into the service. Catch that word. Service. The duty of a soldier, Joe or Jane, is to serve. There's no question in anybody's mind why you are there. You are there to serve. And you don't get involved with a lot of other things that would prohibit your serving. And that's the idea we got to get through in the church, which we have such a hard time getting people to understand. We are not here, ladies and gentlemen, just because you have nothing else to do on a Sunday morning and you came for a rest. You're not here for a vacation. You're not here just to debate ideas. You're here to serve. And a faithful person who is trying to proclamate the gospel is like Joe who knows he's in the service. A Christian soldier serves his Lord. Let's make no doubt about it. Just as a soldier Joe or Jane serves the country. Serves. Enlisted for that or drafted for that. And along with that you are prepared for service by being conditioned to obedience. I don't think you're out of the post office building having been sworn in till you realize the importance of obedience. Get in line. Yes, sir. No, sir. The strength of an army or a navy or any corps is built upon obedience. Yours is not to ask why. Yours is to do. You, you have confidence in the leaders who see the overall plan and you are trained to obey with the teaching that obedience is the way that we save lives, including your own. You're obedient. 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 A key idea in the definition of faithfulness. And to me, that's one of the problems in our land today because we're slowly erasing that word out of our vocabulary. Why? I think there's many different reasons, but today you don't hear much about obeying. That has kind of an ugly connotation. We hear more about civil rights. We hear more about doing your own thing. hear more about freedom, liberation. That's the big word in theology today, liberation. You who served in WW2, can't, can't you just picture what would happen if some young, ambitious attorney appeared at the, to the staff sergeant there in the early morning and said, beg your pardon, sir, but my client won't report to roll call today. He, he feels it's an infringement upon his civil rights, and here I have an injunction to keep him from coming. Wouldn't run an army much on that kind of a basis. Can't run a home or a church or a nation on the kind.
kind of ideas that come when obedience is forgotten. Joe's obedient. And he also is conditioned to serve by making sacrifice. Sacrifice. Yeah, you people went into the service. Right. You sacrificed some of your jobs. Sacrificed love relationships. Think back on those days when you stood on rain-soaked platforms at train stations. When the humidity in your eyes was greater than, than that in the atmosphere. When you said goodbye to loved ones and you both knew there was a good possibility you'd never see each other again on this side of heaven. You went in with the idea you're going to sacrifice time, talent, relationships, maybe even your own life. And many of you have relatives who did sacrifice their life for the country. Praise God for sacrifice. Where would we be in this country or where would we be in the church without it? See, that's a vital, vital part of faithfulness. Jesus said, no greater love is there than a person is willing to lay down his life for his friends. The church will never get its message across, ladies and gentlemen. We have the Christian faith who claim that Jesus is the way, the only way, the truth, and the life. That message isn't going to get out until people are willing to sacrifice time, talent, money, Yes, even their lives. In the faithfulness of that which has been entrusted to us. Faithfulness is divine. Is defined by Job and Jane, the soldier. And then we go on to service and sacrifice and obedience. To the next terminology, and I hope I offend no one, when I speak of the athlete as jock. Now for those of us who are probably over 30, 20, let's make it 15, and if we've not been reading sports magazines, we probably are offended by that four-letter word. It's been appearing in the press. And if you have a dictionary that is three years old or younger, you'll find it there. But some are offended by a good four-letter Anglo-Saxon word. I'm not going into the derivation of this. I just want to say it has a very supportive base. You people are more up on this than I thought you were. But believe me, I say in all honesty and in all candor, that this is a new word in our vocabulary. That's why some of us who are a little older were a little slow in picking it up. It means basically an athlete. An athlete. A high school, particularly a college athlete today, is called a jock. And that's where I borrowed the term for this sermon. Because the athlete has so much to teach us about what is necessary for faithfulness. An athlete, you see, a jockey, he competes. 
And an athlete isn't worth much if he doesn't have that spirit of competition. Good, hard, honest, clean competition. That's what it's about. I think most of us like sports. But you know, I'd be surprised, or you'd be surprised, how many people I tell you are involved in, in what Paul calls a Christian race, a Christian war, and who refuse to believe we're involved in combat. Hmm? Oh, everybody's good. Every idea has some potential. I can't get them quite to see the idea that as Christians, we're competing. We're competing against forces who do not believe what we believe. There are forces, I think, caused by selfishness that are in the world today and they're creeping into the church and church people refuse to see them as such. They forget what Paul tries to teach us. We fight and wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against ideas of wickedness and evil. Paul understood that. Paul, you know, I think was a great follower of athletics. I don't know if he ever performed any in my, himself, and I'm sure if he were alive today, he would know and rejoice with what Lou Brock did the other night in breaking Ty Cobb's record. He would know the batting average of Dave Parker. He would probably be guessing the contract of Jack Lambert with the rest of us. He, he would have known all of these things because he was interested in the athletics of his day. And he used analogy after analogy in the scriptures trying to tell us, Christian brothers, we're in a race. We are in a race. He used the analogy that we've got to run with perseverance the race that is set before us. We have to have the conditioning, the competitiveness of the athlete. And unless you understand that, unless you understand there's a battle going on, there's a race being, being run, and we're involved. We don't have that spirit of competition. We're not going to be very faithful. And the athlete also, you see, is disciplined. Disciplined. I've been very thrilled to notice in the last couple of weeks. Now, school's on. We don't see them in the morning. But there for a while, as I'd be studying early in the morning at my desk, along Ridge Road, this must be the workout trail for one of the local high schools. And boys and girls... Before 8 o'clock in the morning, out there running. And some of them were walking, but they were trying to run. And I was thrilled. Because I knew those kids were going to be learning about something that you can't get from a textbook. But you can't always get through instruction. You get it when you're willing to put one foot in front of the other and you're willing to sweat called discipline. Discipline. And I thought, how many of those kids really didn't want to get up early to be out running on Ridge Road before 8 a.m.? I wondered how many of them the night before said no to a second pizza or a second Burger King when they really were hungry and wanted it. I wonder how many of them said no to the boyfriend or girlfriend when they wanted them to stay on beyond 10 p.m., but they had to get home for curfew. And I rejoice to think that some of the people in, in our community are learning what it is 
to make sacrifice to be disciplined. Because I hope those people are going to be members of Bakerstown Church because I have a hard time getting through to some of you people that worship, church school, participation in this program is a discipline. Like eating and sleeping and reading and studying, worship is a discipline. Some of you get the idea because we're living in an amusement age that church should all be fun and games and happiness. So we do our best. But folks, this is a discipline. There are days when you're not going to want to pray, but you better pray. There are going to be some days you don't want to come here. There are days I don't want to come here. And that's when you depend upon the discipline. There are some days when you're going to want to take that tithe money and use it for something else. You're playing with dangerous fire when you do that. This is a discipline. And this proclamation of the gospel, this idea of getting churches filled and people participating in worship and in church school, it just does not happen. It happens when people are disciplined to make sure it happens. That's faithfulness. Learn it from Jock, the athlete. And also, he learns the rules. That's the greatest thing, perhaps, about Jock. I don't care how much native talent he has, how much endurance, how much discipline, how strong the competitive spirit. If he doesn't know the rules of the game, forget it. He's never going to win the crown. Every once in a while, we pick up the newspaper, watch on television. Some golfer is disqualified from winning because he had one too many clubs in the bag. Or a football team, after having a good, good season, is disqualified because of an inel in the ineligibility of one player. You never win if you don't know the rules. You never win and you can't be crowned unless you know the rules and abide by them. Here's our rule book. Right there. It's a lamp under our feet, a light unto our path. It's the rule book of life. We Christians really have twelve of them. Ten given by Moses, two by Jesus. That's the rule book. And we can't expect the crown of righteousness that is laid up for each one of us until we have fought the fight, run the course, and have kept the faith, obeyed the rules. That's one of the reasons I'm so glad in adult education this church is willing to wrestle with some of the things of life because that's where you learn the rules of life. If you're not involved in one of those jock, I suggest that you get involved because you can't know faithfulness until you know the rules. All right, we've looked at Joe, we've looked at jock, now let's look at Jake. And Jake, I think, is a term that people over 40 and under 40 understand because we always talk about Farmer Jake. I don't know how many farmers you know, but I had the privilege of, for three years before coming here to Bakerstown, serving one of the finest rural areas I know of, where most of the people were farmers. And I sort of thought up to that time that these people were poor Jakes, poor bumpkins, didn't know much better. 
Some of the smartest people I've ever known have been farmers. They sure taught me an awful lot. And they're so smart, they have us believe in they're a little dumb. And that takes brilliance. Several things impressed me about the farmer. First of all was the farmer's wife's home-baked rolls. Oh, could they make chocolate cake, too? Wow. The other thing was the farmer himself. The hardest thing I had to do on a Sunday morning down there in Hickory was not to preach or to pray or to teach, but to stand at the door afterward and to have my hand grasped and greeted by 80 farmers. I swear, their hands were so big from hard work, they could take my two, double them, and that would be about the size of one of their ham hocks. My hand, until 4 o'clock Sunday afternoon, never felt anything except pain. And those big, strapping people were so patient, so patient. You know me, I get kind of excited. I, I feel my days lost when I miss one section of a revolving door in a downtown department store. But those people, they always had time, especially for the young preacher. No matter what they were doing, they always had time for me. So patient. You know, something happens, I guess, when you depend upon your earthly living from having to prepare the soil, put some seeds in, wait and pray and water for months before you get a harvest. I think we've slipped in America a little bit. We do so in proportion to the number of farms that we take off the scene of our great country. I think we'd all do a little better off if we spent some time close to nature and learned from the farmer. I know we'd sure learn patience. And another thing you learn from Jake, he works a long day. And he never complains. Oh, he gets a little upset at the weather. But he really never complains. He works. He works. I'll never forget. Presbytery day came and we were to leave at 9 a.m. to go to the Presbytery meeting down the road. Elder Alvin, who probably is listening on the radio here right now, was to go with me. But something came up on the farm, so he called me on the telephone and said, Sorry, Dick, I can't make it today sometime again. I said, Okay, Alvin, if you can't, fine. He told me he couldn't go and I hung up the phone and I looked at the clock, 5.50 a.m., He'd been up since 4.30, milking the cows, about 60 head of Herefords. Now he was coming in and was going to be sitting down and eating his breakfast at 10 minutes to 6. He calls me thinking everybody should be up. So I got even with him. I went to the meeting. I came home. I called him up and told him all about the meeting at 10 p.m. But the laugh was on him. He was still up doing his work. You think you work hard? Take a lesson from Jake. And he always knew that his work was never done. A faithful person is that individual who knows that the work is never done. But he keeps on working 
working, believing that what he is doing is important and though he may not see the fruit, his children will. And it will make a difference if he keeps on working. Faithfulness, defined by Joe, by Jock, and by Jake. And as we start a new year together today, this is my 17th time I'm beginning another year with you. I hope all of us will commit ourselves this year to a ministry of responsibility as well as that of privilege. God's been very good to us, but God has entrusted us folks with so much. Join with me, please, today in recommitting yourself as I have recommitted myself to the task which lies ahead, which God is expecting us to fulfill. And we can do it only as we teach. But those teachers must be faithful men and women who understand faithfulness in the terms of the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer. And then, you know, we can lay down and go to sleep in our death knowing that we've done our best. Now, therefore, brethren, I beseech you, be you steadfast, immovable, always, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is never in vain. Hallelujah. Father, at this precious season of our year, this time of excitement in the air. Help us, Father, help us, please, to be the Christian soldiers, athletes, and faithful farmers till death do us part.